Hello, queens, and welcome. I'm Peter Tuck, the founder of the Better Birth Program and a mum to four small humans. On the Birth Better podcast, I will be having real, honest, raw conversations that you need to hear as you are preparing for your birth. So you not just have a positive birth experience, but you thrive in motherhood as well. So strap in and let's get started. On today's episode, I chat with a first-time mum about her experience in giving birth and the maternity system. She is a paramedic and in the medical world. We also talk about miscarriage, consent, and what that can look like. As always, please listen at your own discretion and The stories that we share, the opinions and the advice is not a replacement for a discussion with your care provider and is not medical advice. If you want to know more about the work that I do, how to get involved in the Better Birth movement, see the links in the show notes. So welcome everyone and thank you for joining us. Today I have Mariah, yes, have I said that right? Yeah. <laughs> she is a mum to one 10-month-old and it was her first baby, second pregnancy. She is also a paramedic and we are here to talk all things pregnancy, birth um, and unpack it some more. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, and before we get started, I have one question to ask you and then we'll get into it is what was your very first experience with pregnancy and birth it doesn't have to obviously be your experiences and your births or pregnancies it could be from when you were a child or just what was your first experience and what did that look like uh, depending if that's human pregnancy and birth or animal pregnancy and birth well, I grew up whatever. on a dairy farm okay right so I've seen a lot of pregnancy and birth in there, like in an animal setting. Yes. Um, but in the first experience in uh, a human setting <laughs> would be uh, placements for my university degree in a hospital. Okay. And I so there's two follow-on questions to that. In the animal world, how was birth treated? Um, it was kind of just mostly left to its own Oh, yeah. you, you know, you check on the, the animals every now and then when you know that, you know, birth is, is happening. Um, and every now and then, but pretty rarely would uh, the animals need some assistance with that. Yep. Yeah. And then in the human world, what did that look like? Uh, a lot of obstetric emergencies. Yeah. Um, I didn't see any birth without an obstetric emergency, which was okay. quite unlucky. Uh, and very frightening. Yeah, right. Okay, so that was your real first exposure. I grew up in the country and I had friends that lived on dairy farms, so birth was not treated like that. I remember artificially inseminating cows with my friend's dad and just birth's not treated as this scary obstetric emergency on a farm because cows and farm animals and animals are okay, but it's humans that somehow are not okay to give birth. What I'm really interested to talk to you because I think there's so many layers to this. I just, yeah, I'm really eager for our conversation today. So tell me what was, you've you've had two pregnancies and you've given birth 
to one baby tell me of your experience on how you got there what what was that like got married fell pregnant the the weekend of our wedding found out the day we got back from our honeymoon that we we're pregnant which was pretty lovely um all and planned, very exciting. All this was planned yeah very yeah. very much planned yes and sort of very naive to the fact of how common miscarriages were given you know there wasn't a lot of there hadn't been many in my family or you know none that I knew of at that time um and because it just wasn't shared or spoken about and you know I knew a lot and that they were common from train like my medical training but I was just quite naive you know it doesn't happen in my family won't happen to us we're fine Mm -hmm. um and then went in for our first um ultrasound and um they they couldn't find a fetal pole so they couldn't find a heartbeat um and whatnot and then um I was thrown around from different appointments different blood tests no one could give me a clear answer whether I just wasn't far enough along or whether there was actually a viable pregnancy and then in the end um you know it was pretty pretty clear from the first ultrasound that, that there wasn't uh, which was unfortunate that it just took the time and the stress and how long how long was that like period for you do you remember probably about 10 days what avenue did you take after finding that did you have a dnc did you let your body pass baby naturally like what what did that look like uh, i opted for the dnc mm-hmm. um you know, I just didn't want to be at work and then, you know, start spontaneously bleeding and, um, you know, not have the ability to go to the toilet or, you know, do those sort of things given we don't always have that luxury Yes, yeah, because, uh, in our job. Yeah, because you are a paramedic, so you don't have the ability to say, I just need a five-minute break or, yeah, or I need to go home early or what that sort of looks like. Yeah. Um, and do you feel that through that process that you were given adequate support there wasn't really any support if I'm honest yeah yeah do you think that you were sort of the leader of that experience that you were you were the one that was making the choices or did you feel that it was more someone telling you well this is the next step and this is the next step and you just sort of followed that bouncing ball and like how was that experience for you I think I I made the decision that I wanted the DNC because it just it worked better for for my um, you know circumstances. Yep. Um, I think you know the medical staff probably would have preferred me to go another way. Um, but then once that decision was made, I kind of just did what I was told, and you know yeah, okay. that was sort of so- it was very you know medical, and no one really kind of cared (laughs) when you say the medical staff would have preferred you to go another way what way do you think that they were wanting you to go I think they're more advocating for just letting it you know pass naturally which I I could understand yep that side of it as well um but for my circumstances it was just not really appropriate and so this was your very this was other than obviously this is your first experience with pregnancy and then birth is is this and tell me what it looked like afterwards like how did that how was this whole pro that whole experience made you feel uh it was pretty pretty crappy um I didn't handle it as as well as I thought I might 
and I ended up fairly depressed afterwards. Um, luckily, I have a good GP and my husband was really good and I had, you know, good friends around me and, and they all sort of looked after me throughout that. Um, but I went through a lot of, you know, stages of I'm never having a baby again. I don't want to go through that. Like, you know, the, um, you know, and to going, nope, I want a baby straight away. And then being frustrated when we didn't conceive straight away again. Um, it was just a whole sort of roller coaster of emotions and, and um, no real support. And, and, you know, it took months for me telling people that what I'd been through for them to say, oh, yeah, we did that too. And, you know, chatting, having people to actually talk about it with that understood yeah so that was my that was my question was that did you share that information because I know obviously everyone's completely different but the people that I've spoken to that have experienced an early loss they find that sometimes there's stigma around it because you're only four five six whatever weeks pregnant and some people don't share that through the stigma that it's attached to it or and I'm just wondering what your experience felt like did you feel you could openly talk about it did you share that with like your wider circle or only your close-knit friends like what did that look like for you and was there a reasoning behind that um I was very open about it and purely for the fact that I felt like when I started to actually talk to people and so many people like oh I've been through that or uh all of that and I thought, well, why are we not talking about it? Like one in three pregnancies, I'm pretty sure, was the stat I was given, you know, lead to end in a miscarriage. When you're going through it, you feel quite alone because no one talks about it and you don't know that, you know, all these other people that you know have gone through it. And so I just really made the point of, I like I was open, I was honest and I, you know, I spoke about it a lot because I think one, it probably helped me deal with it and sort of work through it. And two, I thought it's really important for us to be able to talk about it. Yeah. And then since then, I've had a few friends come to me to talk about it because it's happened to them and yeah. they felt comfortable talking about it because they, you know, I'm the only person they know that has had it, has been through it sort of thing, where I'm sure it's probably not the only people, but I might be the only one that's actually spoken to them about it. And there's, there's a lot of healing and there's a lot of power and connection. There's so much in just simply sharing our stories. And that is so powerful. And I'm sorry that I just feel sorry. I have never experienced a miscarriage. I'm not going to pretend that I know what that feels like. But I'm sorry that there are there is not adequate support for the women that do experience that. And this is part of why I obviously wanted to start this podcast was because having these conversations and sharing everyone's story is really important because someone listening may be going through exactly the same thing and they don't feel as alone and so yeah I thank you for sharing that and I'm sorry that that support wasn't there for you when you needed it yeah I'm just yeah Yeah. no I think it's very important these conversations are very important and uh, you know it's, it's part of nature and, and, and what happens. And yes, it's crappy, but, you know, if we can make it slightly less crappy for people, yeah, you know, why, why wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. And then you said that you were frustrated that you weren't fully pregnant straight away. Did you then continue trying to have a baby? What, what did that then look like for you then to conceive um, your baby? 
Um, it took a while for my HCG levels to, to fall and, and to get my period back. Um, it was quite an abnormally long time, I think my GP was saying. Okay. But, so that was kind of frustrating in itself. Yep. Um, and then we started trying again and, you know, it, it took us, I think, five five cycles to fall pregnant, which isn't isn't a lot. No. you know compared to other people but con- compared to our first time when it happened yeah. you know first go um that was quite you know sort of difficult in in its own ways I guess and um it was you know frustrating in certain ways and I'd sort of finally come to the the conclusion of whatever it'll happen when it happens and I need to sort of stop focusing on it and worrying about it and then you know the end of that month <laughs> we're pregnant so it was quite funny all the timing um and all the emotions and and you know what our brain tells us but do you um, think um do you think you needed like your your body or knew that you you needed that time to heal like that you needed to travel that path I'm just wondering that as soon as you got to that point where you weren't hanging on all of this weight to it it sort of happened and it's almost like you needed to travel that path yeah I think so and you know in the the last sort of couple of months prior to that like I'd started seeing a psychologist and uh, to you know to to work through you know um the miscarriage and past traumas and things like that as well um so that was kind of you know I probably was my body saying cool you're actually starting to deal with things like you know yeah yeah that's great um and then you fell pregnant and tell me what that looked like for you um I guess the whole time I kind of just felt like oh it's not a guarantee like everyone be like oh when the baby comes and I'm like yeah like you know if the baby comes like you know I, I was quite you know um I told my close friends and family and you know if I saw people i tell them but um a lot of people back home still probably don't even know that I have a child and my child's 10 months 10 months old like I was fairly um I didn't hide it but I just I wasn't probably openly sharing it as I probably would have um prior to you were scared because you were scared partly like part of me was um, and I didn't want to sort of hold all my hopes on the fact that you know I'm pregnant now so I'm, I'm gonna have a baby yeah, because I was kind of, you know, that wasn't the case for the first time, and and it was really hard to kind of deal with. I hadn't I hadn't even sort of put those thoughts in my mind the first time, so I kind of felt silly for not. And then this time, I was like, okay, well, until the baby's here and the baby's okay, like I'm not guaranteed a baby out of this. Like I don't want to get too excited about it. And then also COVID happened too, so it was kind of like I was hidden away, <laughs> hidden away at home, kind of like. Maybe it's going to happen. Did you work through COVID? Did you work through COVID? Um, I'd stopped working on road and I was doing some office duties just before COVID hit because I didn't want to take the risk of being risk of being on road and something potentially happening and risking the pregnancy given that we'd had the miscarriage the first time. So I stopped working on road about um, after my first trimester and then COVID hit. So it was kind of good. Everyone had to come off road during COVID. Yeah, um, that was pregnant. So right, okay, yep. So that was yeah. something that was put in place, obviously, to protect you. Anyway, so even whether you decided to or not, you would have happened. Tell me, what did your birth preparation? Now I know that you 
joined my group. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, correct. And I'm interested in that because I know I'm just going to get that up. Your the the questionnaire that I got you to fill out. Um, would you describe your birth as a positive birth experience? Not really. Like, I take some positives from it and I tried to, like, I was someone who didn't have a plan. Like, with the first pregnancy, it was like, cool, you can't have a plan. Like, I've seen all births go wrong. You know, don't don't bother planning because who knows what the hell's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so then I made a bit of a, a, a birth math yep. rather than the birth plan. Yeah. Um, which is, I started- which is an important thing is so I use the word plan just because that's my thing, right? And there's also the birth, the birth map with which Catherine Bell has termed. Either is fine, either the, either is great, but I think the important thing is that what, whatever you call it, it needs to have more than one route on it or pathway or journey or whatever. If you've got only one thing on there, then it's not really effective because birth may not go down that path. And if you haven't prepared for another path, you know, you can end up spiraling and, and lead into a, a, a disappointing birth experience. So, um, yeah, and it's important that we use the terminology that feels right to us. Sorry, continue. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I I um, I um still call it a plan half the time anyway. And yeah. I'm pretty sure, I, so I started doing some research because, you know, we weren't going to have antenatal classes in mm-hmm. covid Mm-hmm. Um, at the hospital sort of thing and it was the best thing I ever did because I was kind of just you know cool you just go to the hospital things and whatever happens happens and I spoke with a very good friend of mine and she gave me some um, you know some things to look at which included uh, your stuff she'd had mm-hmm. a baby sort of you know the year before me um, and I did end up I think I'm pretty sure in the end it was very, very similar to what you sort of said that you had. I can't remember 100%, but, you know, like the ideal for your circumstances and then like yep. I had one for if I was in uh, for an induction, for a planned C-section, emergency C-section and that sort of thing. So that I had it all for whatever might come our way and, and hubby was, you know, up with what I wanted and what I didn't want yep. um, sort of thing. And it was the best thing I could have could have done. I'm someone who likes to plan, so I thought oh, I can't plan because it's not going to go my way. But then I had all these different things, and then I was induced. And did I guess you have the, a plan for for being induced? Yes, I did, and that plan kind of. I think the I feel like some of the midwives just couldn't get their hand around that I had a plan for if I was induced. So yeah. they tried to incorporate all my ideals for and you know my ideal circumstances, which was a natural birth. Yeah, so my question as well is what care model were you in? Were you in? No, so the reason I'm asking this is because like you have described your birth as not being positive, which to me indicates that there were some blind spots in your birth preparation or holes or pitfalls or something blocking you from getting that positive birth experience. And we're here discussing that the birth plan. And to me, it sounds like that you've created a birth plan as the birth plan on paper needs to be created. So that for me at first look is not where your problems were or what was blocking you. And I'm, I have a suspicion. I think I know what potentially it could be, but I'm just interested. What care model were you in? Um, I was in the hospital and I, 
I, I, like I don't fragmented, know fragmented the fragmented model where you don't know the midwife on the oh like, yeah you see a different midwife every yeah. time and and you potluck who who you are uh, and did have you at your know did you like did you know that there were other options or did you consider the I guess the impact of what that care model could mean to you not at the beginning um yeah. I knew that there was different models but where I live you know your, your hospital standard that you know that, that one is all you have yeah um there was no hospital based like um home births or like any um at some one of the other affiliated hospitals I'm pretty sure they have like a I can't even think the word but you have one midwife the whole time and the midwife yeah, so, like call for yeah, birth yeah midwifery group practice which in your continuity midwife which is yeah which is the gold standard of care. Like it's recognised in so many studies and the World, uh, World Health Organisation says midwifery-led care continuity where you know your midwife from pregnancy, birth and postpartum is like the best model of care that a woman can have. It gives the best outcomes, but it's just not widely available to in Australia, which is just so disappointing. Like you said, there's no other option. Like you didn't have that choice. No, and I started, that started to become really clear to me, like, as I got closer and closer to my birth and with COVID and, and further restrictions of like who could be there, when people could be there, like all those sort of things, it it really became clear to me that it wasn't the best model for probably for me. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really have any, I, I say any other choices at that time. It was a bit late for me to, to change hospitals or know if I had the option to change hospitals or if any other hospital close by was better do you think maybe there was you didn't feel supported to empower yourself to do that maybe like or you just like I'm interested in because this is what I talk about often is that before we get to that birth which you would have seen me rabbit on about this a million times (laughs) before we get to that you know creating our birth plan is we need to do the things before which is getting really clear on ourselves our ideal birth and our care providers because what what generally happens is we get shoved into a a care model like we get shoved into that and that's the path that we're going down and then we get somewhere between oh probably we start thinking about it from around 20 to 25 weeks pregnant and then we you know have your 34 36 week appointment where you discuss your birth plan and then as those weeks sort of roll on you realize that this isn't filling me up and this doesn't make me feel confident. This doesn't make me feel safe. And this doesn't make me, you know, feel like I'm going to have the birth experience that I want. And by that time you're quite far in your pregnancy, which I feel is somewhere, obviously you had COVID on top of that, which is a whole nother layer. And you, you describing to me that, you know, I didn't feel like I could change or I didn't have choice. Like you are not alone. There are so many women that I've spoken to that got, further along in their pregnancy and just was like well it's too late for me now like I'm in it so this is it and it it really does break my heart that women don't get like they go okay well I'm in too far now and this is it and you do have options but it's so much harder and I totally appreciate that and it and it really frustrates me that our stupid shitty all the names under the sun maternity system does not support women like that like you should be able to no matter whether you're 
bloody 10 weeks or 41 weeks say you know what this is not the right care model for me or you're not you're not supporting me in the way that I need so this is the path that I'm going down and we don't have that luxury which is why I continue spewing (laughs) the info that I do because we really need to address that well before we get to the end of our pregnancy so we don't get in a situation where we go this actually isn't right for me and even if you can't change your care model which for some women it's not a reality for you it may not have been a reality because of your location we can put some really strong support strategies in place so that you still are able to feel safe and comfortable and supported so yeah I another tangent from Peter you're welcome so you didn't feel like you realized that this is not for me and to be honest most women aren't if they had the option and knew just how amazing it was to have a care provider that they knew the whole way through their pregnancy and birth no one's choosing a stranger like if you could have someone that you felt safe and comfortable with or a stranger who are you choosing oh. Like, someone that, yeah, someone that you know, someone that you're comfortable with, like definitely. No one, like I'm not going to say no one. Maybe there is someone. If there is someone that's listening that would choose a stranger, please message me because I need to ask many questions. But, yeah, it's like no one wants a stranger in their birth space. No one wants to have your first hello as you're in labour. Um, I think it depends on the, the midwife. Like I had in early labour my first two midwives that I had were awesome. They were strangers, but they were awesome. Yes. Change yeah. of shift happened and it was not so awesome. So I think you can be lucky in terms of your strangers as well sometimes. Obviously it's not um, you know, not planned and, and, and you've got to be lucky, but I think it, it can be like they were fantastic, the first two that I had, and I wish they were there for the rest, but isn't it they were strangers and they were great yeah so and this is the thing like isn't it shitty that luck has to play a role like that we need to have like a lucky dip are we going to get a midwife (laughs) that actually knows how to support us or are we going to get a midwife who is really grumpy and shitty and has the potential to change my birth for you know to to a worst outcome like it's that's really shitty and I was I was in the same model of care as you for my first pregnancy and I lucked out with the shitty midwife yeah, so talk to me about your, your birth. So I went in, I think at about, you know, 36 weeks or something with decreased fetal movement and I had some pains and then they did monitors, all was good. I went and got another ultrasound, that was fine. And then I was, I think I was 39, six. And they were, I had sort of decreased movement. So I called them and I went in and they were like, yep, everything looks great. But um, this is the second time you've come in with decreased fetal movement. So we like to induce you. And I, that was just when the penny dropped to me like, holy hell, what the, where, the, where has this come from? That just completely blindsided me. And I felt like, why did I even bother coming in? You've told me everything's good. Why did I come in? Because I did not want that word to be thrown around to me. So did they explain to you, so... It isn't, it's, I think it's under the safe, there's a thing Australia-wide which is called the Safer Baby Bundle, which is to obviously prevent um, stillbirth, right? And it's something that has these key things that all uh, maternity hospitals need to work towards to meet so that the um, stillborn rate reduces. As a side note, one of the biggest factors in reducing stillbirth is actually continuity of midwifery carer 
and they refuse to put that in the safer baby bundle. So that is like, a, yeah, so that is like a big factor to reducing stillbirth. There's so many, there's studies on that, but it's not in there. So they don't need Yes, isn't it? So as a thing to that, uh, I'm pretty sure it's covered under the safer baby bundle, that if a woman presents within a certain time frame over a certain gestation, they are required to offer an induction. Whether there's any like actual medical evidence to suggest that an induction is beneficial it's just it's it's a policy it's a like a did they explain that to you they didn't explain they just explained that um you've come in twice so we recommend that you have an induction and for someone on their second pregnancy with no live baby yeah it's quite frightening to then to say well this is what we recommend best so your brain heard they're telling me that my baby needs to get out like is that what not really because I I I was confused in a way because they're saying everything looks great on like the monitor and we're we're really happy with everything there it looks fabulous you know baby looks really happy in there and then 10 minutes later the the obstetrician comes in and says hey you know what you've come in twice with saying you've got decreased movement so we recommend that you have an induction and my brain just goes, but you're telling me my baby looks really happy in there. Why are you telling me now that my baby needs to come out? But also I don't want to take the risk of leaving it. And if something does happen, feeling bad that I didn't do it. Did when... you articulate this? Did you actually say this to the care provider? Not to them. I, I Like my husband and I spoke about it and like we were very clear on sort of what we wanted, but we also didn't want to take any unnecessary risks after the miscarriage and so we, we were both just kind of flabbergasted and and you know took some time to chat about it and like it was really kind of just very overwhelming it just went from this like cool we'll just we'll just check you out to oh you know what like I think induction's best and that's really what we would recommend yeah and I just I didn't know where to go with that because I just I didn't want to take the risk my husband didn't want to take the risk I really wanted a natural birth, so he was really sad if I wasn't going to get that. When you did your research, did you, for your induction, did you, one, did you do your own research into it? And two, did they actually give you the risks and benefits for an induction? No, I'd, I'd, I'd done, um, I'd probably, I'd done research on inductions and how inductions were done and, and the way I wanted it done if that was necessary yeah I probably hadn't looked up enough into and I probably didn't give myself the time after they said to me hey you've come in twice this is what we recommend I probably if I had have probably felt comfortable and not quite so bombarded and yes you know I I probably should have gone and actually before making my decision had a look at the statistics and why they're offering me the induction and why they're recommending it and actually see if there was evidence behind yeah that induction and like I just when I speak now obviously I am there's no blame on you this is not and I think I like I can't say this enough that this when I say you I don't like it's not your fault like it is our maternity system's fault that I'm even having to have these conversations with you now because they just aren't supporting women right so it's not your fault and there is no there's no blame on you and it's so shit that it has to be our responsibility as women to do this. In in the process of doing that birth plan, when you look, when you create your birth plan, it's not just to like 
you've gone, I, I would assume, okay, so they can use these different things to induce you and this is what it probably looks like and this is what I think feels more comfortable for me. But it's actually further than that and it's actually like looking at the risks and benefits. When would that be offered? When would that be something that I would consider? So like one of the risks to an induction is um, fetal distress, even fetal death, maternal death. Like that is actually a risk. Yeah. Be it that it's, you know, not it's rare but it's still a risk and until you actually understand that like you said you're not really making an informed decision and if you do this process you know before these things start getting put on the table you've sort of done your research so you're not feeling as bombarded do you know what I mean like you can go and you have that information there so you can ask questions and actually have the conversation with the care provider and really break it down so that the decisions that you're making are right for you right there and now, even if an induction is the last thing that you want to do, it may actually be the right thing based on the circumstances, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So you've been told to do that an induction is the best thing. You and your husband have discussed it. What did, What sort of happened from there? um I sort of just I said okay like give me a stretch and sweep and 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 you know tell me tell me where I'm at and if if it's favorable then I guess my body's close to doing it and and I'll just take it I don't want to take the risk you're telling me that you know it's the best choice and I'd feel awful if I you know left it and something happened like and then they did the stretch and sweep um I was fairly, fairly, you know, my cervix was fairly soft and, and mm. that like it was open a bit and I sort of thought, okay, well, it's close enough. They're saying it's the best. So I'll, I'll, I'll book it in. I'll have 24 hours to, to, you know, think it over. And if I change my mind, then, you know, I, I can do that. Um, but yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't go back and I didn't do any of the, the research probably that I now realize I should have done. It was just kind of, okay, it's happening, you know, we'll try this, we'll try that. Um, they put the balloon, like I came back 24 hours later um, to be admitted, which now I, I just think is so silly for something that's not a medical, like obviously being induced as a medical procedure, but, you know, birth and those sort of things. And we're being admitted, like we've got a medical issue when. Like you're sick. Like yeah. You're sick. It's I, I that I've learned and I find very funny now after sort of going through it all. They put the balloon in, um, and then that fell out after a couple of hours because I was already, you know, quite quite favourable. I had about three hours sleep overnight because there's babies crying and the lady next to me needed all these things. And then I get up at 6 or 5.30 in the morning or whatever to, to start getting induced, which is so frustrating and I'm so tired already before you then have to go and give birth, which I was like, this is so not fair. Like, yeah. This is so not right. Yeah. <laughs> so not right. Which from the start, but then like the actual, I then was very like, no, you're not rupturing my mum, my membrane, like, like you can rupture my membranes now, but you're not starting me on the drip yet. Like, give me some time to see if that helps. Like I was really trying to, like, it's still an induction, but I was trying to get it started, I guess, without having to use the, you know, Syntocin because I really yeah, didn't want going to. Going straight to the heavies. Just wanted to see what your body was doing and, and yeah, which is totally reasonable, which, like, totally reasonable. Yeah. And then as soon as the drip hit, oh, my God, it was awful. <laughs> it was, oh, it was so uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable. Um, yeah. It was, it was, my body just, 
did did not like it very much. But anyway, it was pretty quick. So I was thankful for the, for that in a way. Um, you know, I didn't have a, a super long labour. Things progressed pretty quickly, and uh, I was thankful for that. Um, yeah. But then, oh my god, consent. And, and and you harp on about it a lot and oh my god I totally get it now they just they just don't get it no I, I feel like the, the system is just so flawed and we, and it's we, a big thing because we, your decisions like your path could have been exactly the same right but the big difference is that you were the one that was get given all the information and making informed consent the whole way so that when us now are sitting here looking back and talking about it, you put your hand up and going, yep, I knew all of that and I made that decision from my own free will because that was what I felt most comfortable and safest doing, right? Yeah. But when consent is not given, informed consent, one, but sometimes just even blatant consent, I say sometimes, a lot of the time blatant consent just isn't given. I'm interested in from your experience being in the medical like world, like your training around consent and then being on the other side and and I, like I know you've touched on that. I want to I want to talk more like what does that look like? You know, we we were initially taught a lot of um not informed consent but like you know, you put your arm out to do a blood pressure implied yep. consent. I think, you know, like in terms of implied consent, you know, calling an ambulance, like, you know, you're happy for them to assess you. Yes. But you, you should, you always, uh, like, or I would always ask consent to, especially for medication. That's why I'm interested to know, like, your experience where you have been on that other side where your job is to get that consent. And, and then being in that situation, what did that feel like when things were being done to you? So I think... It's hard because I'm always someone that's very I explain things very well and and, yeah. and because that's how I would like it. But isn't and, that shouldn't that be the, the, the standard? Like some some, <laughs> some people not? I know it should be. I, <laughs> yes. I definitely agree that it yes. should be. But um some some people in, in the medical profession don't they're very smart and very good at what they do. Yes. But um bedside manner isn't always there. Not, you know, high priority, which is very sad. And that's what I found with probably some of my midwives as well. Bedside manner was not great. And I've had a few surgeries and stuff, you know, previously. And, you know, bedside manner is very important, but it's definitely not something that is taught or something that's prioritized. Um, You know, when I was giving birth, I was lucky that my husband was there and he was very strong and very like, no, she doesn't want that. Like, piss off. Like, stop asking this is ridiculous. Like I'm about to give birth and, you know, the internals, I didn't want internals, but in the end it was kind of like they had to do one to do this, you know, to rupture the membranes, whatever. And then they didn't one quite later. I was pretty far along and, I, you know, they came out and they're like, oh, you're nine centimetres. And at the time I was like, I'm only nine centimetres. Like this is ridiculous. I don't know how I'm going to cope. Like, which should have been obvious to me that I was transitioning. But anyway, She's then new midwives came on and all they wanted, she wanted to do an internal just to check that I was 10 centimetres. She's like, give me another hour if you're not going to let me do another, um, you know, internal, all these things. And she just kept asking and asking. And I'm like, no, like, I'm not letting you do another one. Like, we've just done one. 
go away like I can't move I'm yeah. stuck over the side of the bed and she's like oh maybe if you just hop onto the ground here I can do it I can just do it right there and I'm like no and my husband's like she doesn't want it and then she asked the student midwife that was in with her because she, she was a grad and you know she's fairly new and, and I, I understand what that's being like and she's like oh have you ever done an, an, an internal while someone's standing up like do you think we could just do it right here and my husband's just like she's not letting you do it you're not doing it like just stop it yeah and they just she she just couldn't she didn't want me to push until she knew that I was 10 centimeters and I had like the fetal ejection reflex was going strong well before this yep and I wasn't pushing at all I pretty much didn't push yeah he just came out how did that feel for you when that happened like what was that feeling for you I like I had no idea I have no idea how to like really describe it I just I almost felt like you know when you, someone gets an electric shock and their body kind of comes off the floor like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, did you feel powerful in that moment like did you feel powerful were you scared like what was that feeling for you I I probably was a bit naive in the fact that I just kind of was like what's going on this is weird like I didn't yeah. think I was that far enough along because they yeah, kind of right. just keep saying to me like we need to check like don't push give me another hour like all this and then all of a sudden I'm like I think the head's there like he's coming out and she's like she wasn't the midwife wasn't looking and the student was there she's like oh do you think it really was the head to the student and I was like the head's there <laughs> like it's in my I can feel it <laughs> Like, I, I know what's going on. Like, I Nothing know what. just blow your mind that, like, that's happening to your body. And they're like, oh, is it? Like. Yeah. I'm like, I have medical training. I know what happens. Like, even if <laughs> even I didn't, if I think I know. medical training, you know when there's a head between your legs. <laughs> oh. And so at the time, I just kind of was a bit like, I probably didn't feel that safe. And I was kind of a bit like what the hell is going on? Yeah. This baby's coming out and she's telling me not to do anything. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's like safety is important because like we were talking about the cows that give birth on the farm, they feel safe in their natural environment. But like if they, if there was a predator close by their birth, that they stop, like, yeah, they would stop. Yeah. Because their hormones and everything stop. And that's, that's what women face when they're in, situations where they don't feel safe um, yes and yeah. then from there it just kind of almost went downhill in terms of like feeling safe and and like everything it was like they like the ctg they just wanted to keep that on like yeah. they couldn't get a good reading and i'm sitting there going he's coming out like why the hell is this their priority right now yeah and then they're like my husband we just wanted my husband to deliver bubs because like he knows how to yeah and i think she just kind of got a bit flustered and kind of forgot that he had medical training and she's trying to get this CTG on me to make sure that, but I'm thinking he's coming out. If, 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 if the heartbeat's no good right now, like nothing you're going to do in that couple of, you know, coming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He's coming out, like get out of my way and and, and just let it happen. Um, So that was kind of annoying. And then she like, his head was out and I don't even know I th- maybe she was checking for the cord around the neck and maybe she was concerned about it. I have no idea. And there was no inform information about why she did it for me to consent or not consent to say no. And she's just given me a big rim around my whole vagina in his head, which was excruciating. That was the most painful part of it. I've got no idea what hell she was doing anyway. And then he, he, he eventually came out and, and, and um, whatnot. But I was just like, I just wanted to yell out and say, what the hell are you doing to me right now like yeah he's coming out 
explain what she was doing or anything. Nothing. She didn't explain why even afterwards. Like, obviously, that's not really anything like consent. I didn't think we... about asking after. Yeah, okay. I, I until later and I was talking to my husband about it and I didn't even, I didn't think to ask. And I have so many questions now that I'm like, oh, should I go back and ask the hospital? But it's kind of like, I don't know if it's even worth it. You can so, absolutely get a copy of your birth records and it should have notes in there as to why. Um, and if it's not, you can ask the question, why would have that thing been done to me? What was their reasoning um, behind it? Yeah, so, and because like it says, there were CPG abnormalities on my discharge summary and no one said anything to me about it. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like really, you know, frustrated by it. It's like I get some people wouldn't even know what that means because they don't have medical training. But the 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 main thing on my birth map is open, clear communication yeah. for any procedure. So it's almost like then that would almost make sense as to why they were being so frantic about keeping that CTG monitor on. Because if there were abnormal readings, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so and, and that's Doppler? probably why, but no one told me. What about a Doppler? Like, did they not have that Doppler there? Well, I had to use the C2G because I was induced. Induced, yeah. Which was um, frustrating enough because I couldn't go in the water. Yeah. And that's all I really wanted to do. So how, like, how did your birth experience make you feel? I was, uh, there was parts that I was, I was, that were positive and parts that I was like, uh, and overall, it wasn't the most positive, but it probably, it, and I think about it in the way that it wasn't as bad as some of the ones I've seen. Yeah. Okay. And so, that's not, you know, that's not the best way to look at it. No. So you like, this is your story. Like it. And the thing is, what I say is if you don't, if you're not telling me without hesitation or enthusiastically that it was positive, then it wasn't. No, um, no, it wasn't. And, and being induced from the start, like I was fine with being induced, but like I'd, I'd, I'd come to terms with it and I was happy with how I wanted it to go and whatnot. And, and I'd sort of given into being induced, but then they really tried to put in some of the things that I wanted in a, a normal, natural vaginal birth into my induction plan, which I kept saying to them, oh, I don't need to do that. I don't, like, it's okay. I don't need that for this. So and they a, just kept trying to do it. There was a breakdown, obviously, in communication between your care provider because you hadn't obviously had that chance to speak with them prior to because it was an unknown person. Looking back, can you see any clear holes or how I term blind spots to your preparation? Is there anything that stands out to you? Um, probably it starts probably before I was even pregnant or, or choosing my care provider is probably my, <laughs> yeah. probably the, the main thing that I would say. And I think next time I would look a lot more into home births. Yep. Um, that was kind of not really an option. Oh, I, I say it wasn't really an option. My husband would not have been comfortable with it. And yeah. it frightened me as well because I'd been to some home births that hadn't gone well. Yeah. So having that, um, the negative experiences we'd had really kind of shaped our view on it. So but that, now the more and more I've learned, uh, it's it's so much more clear that uh, that's probably would be better for me um, and, and a you, better path. Do you think you made your decisions about your birth? from a place of power or from a place of fear? Probably more fear, I reckon. I'm probably starting to learn a bit more now about, you know, kind of taking it the other way. Um, But I think a lot of, it's taken me a lot of time and given my job, you know, certain parenting decisions, I was like, I would never do that because of the job that I do. And now I'm like, oh my God, it feels so much more natural. Like, yes, 
this is what I'm going to do. Like, and yes. a lot of people at my job would be like, why the hell are you doing that? But that's just, it feels so natural. Why would I not do it? Yes. And I can't let that fear make me do like not do it because I'll regret it later. But it's taken me a long time to slowly start shifting to that kind of making my decisions from a side of power rather than fear. And fear yes. will always be there, I think, for me, but I'm working on that. So I, from hearing your story, now I know that you were in the group um, and I'm interested to know, did you actually do like my full step one? Did you get the questionnaire? Did you complete that? I have the questionnaire here with me in front of me. Yes. Um, I did I would say I did most of it. I did all the questions through to the, um, oh, sorry, I wrote down answers to the questions yes. all through. Yes. Um, and then I don't, I think I, I did come back and I read through it, but I didn't sort of fill out the, you know, um, write my answers down again sort of thing. Yeah. So and- when I'm hearing you speak, what, and your experience, what I, what I pick out was one, yes, your care model wasn't, aligned to you but before you even got to that is that you have experienced things be that the trauma of losing your first pregnancy and your first baby and the exposure that you've had through your work that without even getting any further than that those things have the potential to impact your birth experience which for me on the outside looking in, I can see that they probably have through your decision-making because you've, you've acknowledged that you've done this stuff through fear. And that's what the important thing with step, like the step one, it's acknowledging that. And the reason that I say, go back and do it again. And if you need support, then reach out because like we can fill in those questions and then sometimes look at them and go, okay, well, cool. What do we do with that now? Like, yeah, I know I've experienced a miscarriage and I've seen some horrific births. So, but what do I do with that information? How can I break that down, get past that so it doesn't impact my birth? And I think that was, a, and you've acknowledged that now, which is so great that you are making decisions from fear. And always ask yourself, is this coming from, and like you're saying with your parenting, that it just feels right, which means it's coming from a place of power. It's not coming from a place of fear. Like that's where you need to be is that you are knowing that all of these decisions that you're making is coming from a place of power. And often to get there, we really need to acknowledge our traumas and our fears and who we are as a person. And it doesn't mean that your path would have taken a different path. It doesn't mean that you go on to have a hands-off home birth it doesn't mean that you wouldn't have an induction it just means that how you got to there was you like you were powerfully making all of those decisions so I'm interested did you do any further exploration with those steps or do you just went okay well this is me which is like which is real it's it's big to acknowledge that stuff and I'm not saying it like it's it's never an easy thing to do like do you know what I mean? Like, it's never easy to put your hand up and go, these are my experiences. Like that for me, that's what stands out is that there was some, your, your fears and your traumas still really blocked and shattered your choices um, is what it's. And I think maybe, would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think that's in my job. A lot of what we do is not out of fear, but it is kind of because yes, you, you've, you've got to do things otherwise you know if something happens we're not supported yeah very well you know yeah. because something bad happened so 
and that's you maybe if you did something differently so it, it's it's kind of that well, okay worst case scenario this is what the worst case is we've got to deal with like treat for the worst case so that's sort of just how my yes my mind kind of goes and and I've I'm slowly learning now that I kind of don't like that way and I don't think it's the best way in the medical field and that's the way the medical field is so why why would I let myself do that in other things especially things that are non-medical such as like giving birth yeah like it's not a medical thing why do we treat it like a medical thing and and I'm slowly learning to kind of piece together how you know not the reality, but how I actually see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not from that medical side and going, ah, well, this is what I want. This is what I like. This is what, you know, what I would actually want rather than kind of going, oh, this is what they tell you you should do. Yes. And sometimes, like, sometimes we're not ready. Sometimes it can take a look. Sometimes it can take, you know, having someone with you that whole way prompting you and probing you and saying okay well let's just take in little bites and little 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 bite-sized pieces and baby steps and stuff but really powerful just to have acknowledged that um now and it will help you then to heal from this you know your birth experience that you've had it'll help you to heal from the loss of your first baby and it'll just help you overall as a human like do you know what I mean yeah yeah and like even just like you know experiencing some of those things has uh, you know experiencing the miscarriage and then giving birth during COVID and having to go find my own information because you get nothing from that we couldn't do things with the hospital or all those other things has taught me so much and and made me a better mum and 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 given me probably a better birth than I may have had otherwise yeah you know um and and all that and as much as it was crap giving birth during COVID and all that it's 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 helped me learn a lot about myself and and helped me in in ways that I never would have yeah you know, imagined in the start um you know I still have a long way to go but definitely yeah. um I'm glad that you know I found those things and and have have started working on on that and 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 making plans and now if we decide to have another kid I I, I can you know further improve that think that you're amazing and thank you for sharing your story yeah, I, I really appreciate it. And I think it's a, it's a very important one to hear. Um, before I finish, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, just do it. I just think, you know, do your research. You know, birth isn't a medical, isn't a medical, you know, as medical as we, we, we treat it and really try and we've got to make our births, I think, even though that's kind of sad to say. But, yes, um, you know enjoy like you know as hard as silly as that sounds but you know I realize now like I it's something that really can be kind of enjoyed and it's a very special time and we shouldn't be letting other people kind of ruin and take over our journeys to becoming mothers and and birthing our children Um, and and thank you for your work that you've done in that space and through COVID and that for us women who had no real support um, you sort of gave us more support than we could really get from from the hospitals and and that sort of thing for some of us um and and helped us kind of better our birth and decrease the trauma yeah and I am so in a way I'm kind of thankful for that aspect of COVID that it it had me rethink about okay well how do I reach more women so that they aren't getting fucked up from birth and like I'm thankful for that and part of it and I'm also thankful that 
COVID has had women that may not have necessarily thought outside of the medical institution for birth because it actually had women on a on a larger scale reevaluate whether hospital where sick people go is the safest place to have a baby you know in those early days when we didn't know what the world was going to look like we didn't know if our hospitals were going to be overflowing with sick people there were women going well is that really where I should be giving birth I'm not sick yeah Um, so yeah I think that's yeah that that's one positive from it um and one of my final questions that I'm asking everyone is if Every single woman walked out of her birth feeling um, powerful and confident in herself, in her abilities, in her body and trusting her instincts. What do you think the world would look like? Oh, my God. It would be such a different world. Like I couldn't even imagine what it would look like. It would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like just to... I'm starting to now listen to my instincts and, you know, I didn't have that much of a positive birth, but it wasn't terrible. So I couldn't imagine what it would worse would be for other people, but, and I'm starting to feel so much better in myself for making those decisions. I couldn't imagine how good it would be if you had a positive birth, you got to do exactly what you wanted, how you wanted without any questions or judgment. I think it would just be such a beautiful place and, and incredible for all of us and our children and their children because of that. So thank you so much for joining me and I so appreciate you sharing your story. Um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. If you love this podcast, if you want to find out more information, you can find me at www.petertuck.com. Come and hang out in the Better Birth Facebook group and join the Better Birth movement or follow me on Instagram, Peter Tuck, Brisbane Doula. I will see you next time.